You're listening to 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Welcome to you, the listener, if you're tuning in on 101.9 Chai FM or the Jerusalem Post. It is good to be with you. And being Hanukkah, we thought that it would be appropriate to look at all things energy, all things light, all things burning into eternity. And who better to have on the show than Captain Sunshine himself? That's right. That's the nickname for Yossi Abramovitz. He is from Energia Global, and he is joining us today to talk about the solar energy industry in Israel and how it is expanding uh, beyond the borders and into the rest of the world, especially the African continent. You'll see, welcome to the show. Before I even get you started on the solar, however, I know you have a very interesting background in Jewish social action. So perhaps start by telling us a little bit about that. First of all, nobody is a king uh, in Israel, and uh, that's, that's part of the problem that uh, it's very hard to get even the solar industry done. But my 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 background is one of uh, is a Jewish student activist. Uh, I was uh, active in the anti-apartheid uh, movement in the United States uh, on campuses. Um, and then was elected chair of the World Union of Jewish Students. So I had uh, been invited uh, by my friend Howard Saxstein, uh, who is the chair of uh, the South African Union, uh, Saudis, to come down uh, during the state of emergencies back in the 80s, of course. Um, and I was very involved as well in the movement to free Jews from the Soviet Union, Ethiopia, and Yemen. Um, so uh, it's about getting things done and seeing the world as it should be. It must have been an absolutely fascinating time. I mean, the stories I've heard of both of those movements of quite serious activism, people chaining themselves to embassies and, uh, uh, you know, really getting involved in terms of the anti-apartheid movement, in terms of activism and marches. Uh, looking back on that time and, and looking at campuses today with what Jewish students are up to, uh, is that something that resonates with you? Do you feel the challenges are very similar or do you think they're quite different? In some respects, um, the outside of the topic of Israel, right, and the delegitimization of Israel, uh, we don't have the kind of um, oppressed jury that we live around uh, in, in the same way. Uh, so I feel like it's more about how do you add the uh, Jewish component and the Jewish activism in maybe even more critical global issues like climate change. I mean, the... Uh, you know, the, 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 our, gen, our, our children's generation are going to inherit a, a, a violent planet uh, and it's uh, is deeply unstable because of what we're doing today and what we're burning today. Um, but I, I do feel there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a certain complacency in activism in general. Um, and maybe the social media should be empowering greater activism is sort of an outlet for people to put like or, you know, to sign a petition. Uh, and that's, that's just not good enough. There's too much slacktivism and not enough activism, clearly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so okay, so you were a student activist. Uh, you, you got involved with things like the anti-apartheid movement and, uh, um, and, and the Free Soviet Jury Unit. Uh, all right, so... From an activism point of view, would you say that there was something that particularly inspired you if if uh, if you say people are, are perhaps not getting out there on the streets enough? I think there's a fundamental belief that you have to do the right thing, even a great against great odds. I mean if you think back at the 
both it was around the same time, the fall of the, the Soviet Union, right? And then the decision by de Klerk and Mandela uh, for a peaceful transition to power. These were monumental, you know, sea changes in world history uh, in response to global concerns and overwhelming sort of moral and also economic uh, force. Uh, and, and, and in a sense, we, 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 we believe that we were going to succeed. We just weren't always sure how. I think there's, with the atomization of society, uh, there's also a sense of disempowerment. Um, and, and you look at sort of the rise of fanaticism in the world that's defining more and more issues. Uh, um, and, and you look at the uh, you look at the state of politics in South Africa today, right? The, there's a there's a big difference between the ANC charter that was so inspiring and then South Africa today. So I think there's we're also in the era of disillusionment uh, following the great uh, you know social triumphs, uh, social political triumphs. Uh, I had a fortune. I was very fortunate to to play a role in. And when you got here uh, during the state of emergency, I mean, was it dangerous? Were you being followed? Uh, was it an issue being an activist like this uh, internationally when you came to South Africa? I guess it must have been in the 80s. So I'll give you a scoop, actually. I think it's fine to say this now that uh, all the players have moved on. But I, um, I, I was back to Saudis, and at the time, I gave a speech advocating for divestment and sanctions which was against the law and uh, was very controversial at the time. Um, and and we were also saying to the Saudis that, we, you know, get even more active than you are on this issue. And if you lose your funding from the, uh, you know, the World Zionist Organization, the Zionist Fed, we will have to find a way to, um, to back you up. The security forces found out about it and they wanted to deport me uh, at the time. And uh, Herbie Rosenberg, God bless him, from the, then the head of the Zionist Federation in South Africa, intervened and said, "You know, fellas, he's leaving in a day or so. Don't don't make him into a martyr. It'll 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 blow up." Uh, so I never had that badge of honor of being deported from apartheid South Africa. But the next year, when I was trying to get a visa to come back to Saudi at their invitation. Uh, I was banned, <laughs> which I'm quite proud of uh, at, at, at that moment. But it was a difficult time. We had snuck into Soweto, into an area called the Chicken Farm, um, which uh, had just experienced demolitions uh, several days before. And we had to sneak in as, as medical students to, for me able to get a sort of an eyewitness account on behalf of the global Jewish student of movement of what was really happening there. And the Saudis leaders at the time, particularly in their context, were incredibly, incredibly courageous, and the rest is history. Well, there you go. You have the inside scoop of a banned person from South Africa in the 80s. <laughs> a fascinating story. You'll see, I've heard stories of you with the Yamukas that's saying uh, Jews against apartheid, which is a, uh, probably an, an interesting one. I wonder if you still have it. Uh, but moving on from the activism stuff, how did you go from from that kind of social activism and engagement of those sorts of issues uh, to getting into, I guess, what's considered more of a corporate space in terms of energy generation? So um, when uh, my family and I made Aliyah to Kibbutz Ketura in the Arava, down near Elad on the Jordanian border, 
Um, it was really hot and sunny <laughs> when we got out of the car, and uh, it just hit me that I'm sure the whole place works on solar, and I couldn't believe uh, it hadn't. And when I asked around, people were like, yeah, it makes sense because the sun is so hot, um, but no one's crazy enough to take on the government. And so what actually clicked in, the, the, the really the catalyst to start the industry in the state of Israel was precisely that I had experienced the, um, the, the thrill, the burden, the responsibility, and the privilege of helping to lead the anti-apartheid and Southern Jewry movements wherever I was, and that my specialty was actually beating up governments for really good causes. <laughs> and that's what Israel needed. And so if it wasn't... Uh, if it wasn't for the clerk and Mandela, if it wasn't for Sharansky and others, uh, Israel uh, is certainly not back in 2006 to 2011 when we had to fight the government. Maybe by now they would have had a little bit of solar. But that that was a defining um, secret sauce in addition to a great team and good co-founders at Hoffman, the and David Rosenblatt in the States, uh, that enabled us to beat up government for a worthy cause. So it's the same. So most people, I think, have a, a reasonable idea about what it took to beat up the South African government back in the day, or certainly the, the Soviets. Uh, what is the process like for banging heads uh, in Israel to get something like this off the ground? I have to say, um, I'm not proud of Israel uh, about this. I can tell you good news uh, on things that I am proud of in the solar space. But um, when, when people said that it's impossible, you're a naive American kibbutznik, uh, no, one, no, no one has ever done this before. No one's crazy enough to take on all the government uh, agencies. And we, and we had identified about 24 different government offices that we need to approve and pass regulation. I was like, wait a second, I used to get Hebrew teachers out of solitary confinement in Siberia from the KGB. We can't change a couple laws in our own country. Um, and it was very difficult. We, we had to win 100 political, regulatory, and um, statutory battles to de-risk the market so that our business model would work and investors can come in and make money. Uh, it did take five years to do the first commercial-scale solar field. We've now done... Me and my partners have done eight in Israel and a bunch of others who are doing it. Um, but our initial vision, and this goes back to, you know, visions of disillusionment, right? I, I had wanted certainly the Arava from the Red Sea to the Dead Sea to be 100% powered by the sun by 2020, which would be an example to the rest of Israel, right, which is 60% desert, and then Africa and the Middle East. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be a cool leverage uh, play? But it was difficult, and even today, it's still very, very difficult. Yeah, certainly it sounds like uh, quite a thing if you had to uh, do that. What what would you say is the key obstacle? I mean, other than the bureaucracy, were there other constraints within the society that were stopping solar going ahead? Look, you have uh, many, and, and this is also true in South Africa, you have many entrenched interests, right? So the Israelite company is like your ESCOM uh, in many ways. Um, you have many different political bodies. You, you also have a regulator, an energy minister, and, uh, and again, the electric company. Uh, so you, it's, it's really a lack of leadership around this issue. 
certainly the financial equation back then wasn't as good as it is today, where today it actually makes sense. Uh, and it, by the way, it should be cheaper than coal if you price coal cor- correctly. Um, there, it was just, there, there were too many things. And then the finding of uh, the natural gas in the Mediterranean, while a blessing in terms of us being able to phase out coal, it still means that about 97% of Israel's energy is powered by burning fossil fuels, and those are very powerful financial um, interests in the state. So talk to us a little bit about the issues facing renewables in general then. I mean, often when you bring up this topic, you know, people who are more fossil fuel-filled inclined would say, you know, the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow and solar is just too expensive anyway. Uh, so why are we bothering? So are you saying that there's been a shift uh, in terms of the, the pricing of renewables that is making it more attractive? So, um, you know, as you said, this is our festival of miracles and a festival of lights. So I, I have some good news for, for all your listeners. Um, and, and we should name it as a miracle. Um, one uh, is that the price of solar today has dropped so dramatically that in the state of Israel it is now cheaper than natural gas um, without subsidy. And that is, that is truly a miracle in our lifetime and should also do South Africans uh, policymakers, uh, great pause. The second miracle is that from the Red Sea to the Dead Sea, today we're at 70% powered by the sun, and by 2020 we will hit our 100% mark. And this, again, is the model for Africa. When we now meet with African heads of states and energy ministers, um, and uh, they, they look up their own terms of technology, risk mitigation, all sorts of things, um, but the, the, the good news that we point to is that we show them the solar fields in the uh, deep south of Israel, and we say, we're going to be 100% solar during the day. Would you like that, sir, as well? Or in Liberia, yeah, Your Excellency, ma'am. Um, because this is what you can do today for your people. So exactly how many solar fields do you have now, and, and how does it work? Are they owned by communities? Are they owned by the government? Are they owned by, by yourselves? What is the, the solar structure in the country like? Look, it's one thing to do it in the state of Israel, which, you know, in the face is still a Western uh, democracy, um, and uh, there's a certain predictability in doing business. Uh, I put an asterisk there, uh, but it's still true. Um, but doing it in Africa is a, is a whole other ballgame. No one had ever succeeded in doing commercial-scale solar in sub-Saharan Africa outside of South Africa. But from my point of view, and also just from a, a Jewish mission point of view, there are 600 million people in sub-Saharan Africa without access to any electricity, and 200 million that are burning expensive and dirty diesel. And so just the mitzvah of bringing... Uh, solar power as a fundamental human right uh, would be enormous if someone can do it, but no one had ever succeeded. Um, we have a great team at Ameria Global. Uh, we have amazing impact investors, people who want to do well and do good. And we're proud to say that we produced and developed and financed that first proof of concept. We're supplying 6% of Rwanda's generation capacity with one solar field, we built it on the grounds of the Agahosa Shalom Youth Village, an Israel-inspired orphan youth village, um, and we cover 100% of the uh, medical costs of all 500 orphans that live through the village for, for 25 
years. We've reduced their dependence on diesel as a country. Um, so we're doing humanitarian good, we're doing environmental good, and we're also raising the banner of what Israel can contribute to, to Africans, uh, in addition to making sure that our investors uh, make some money. Uh, so we created that business model. We did the breakthrough, you know, from Jerusalem, a new light is shining, and then we've been lobbying the Israeli and American governments to join forces so that um, companies like us that also have a social good and a diplomatic good can now scale throughout the continent and bring this light. It's absolutely fascinating stuff. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. And we're speaking to Yossi Abramovitz. He is the CEO of Energia uh, Solar Energy, and he is a solar energy entrepreneur, not just in Israel, but in Africa as well. And we're going to be chatting to him more a little bit after the break about where he's going on the continent. You're back with 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. And we're talking to Yossi Abramovitz. He is a solar entrepreneur from Israel, and we've been chatting about what has been going on in Africa regarding solar power, particularly as it relates to Israel. And uh, just before the break, Yossi, you were talking about uh, the Israelis and the Americans getting uh, very much more involved in the continent, and you've had a bit of a breakthrough uh, in regards to this with uh, the signing on of Power Africa. Could you explain to us a little bit more about that? The, um, the United States woke up uh, about five years ago and realized there's not enough charity, certainly, and not enough foreign aid that even all the, the wealthy nations can muster to lift a, a continent out of poverty. Uh, and what they realized is that, you know, good people around the world want to help Africans with education, health care, jobs, right? The dignity that comes with all of these. But you can't really do that in the 21st century without electricity. And so that was the missing link in, in terms of uh, anti-poverty and lifting countries out of, uh, out of poverty. And so the uh, White House launched the Power Africa Initiative, uh, which is a private sector initiative that the U.S. government was going to help seed and de-risk and, and um, make happen. Actually, the headquarters this is the only U.S. government uh, program that is headquartered outside of the U.S., and it's in, the headquarters is in Pretoria. Um, and so from Washington and Pretoria, they're helping African governments and private companies like us, we're a founding uh, member of Power Africa, to bring electricity, to bring light uh, to, to the continent. Um, uh, last week in Jerusalem, in the presence of the Prime Minister, who uh, has gotten, thankfully, the African bug, uh, the United States and Israel joined forces under Power Africa uh, so that hopefully hundreds of millions of people will now, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, will be able to benefit from the leveraging of the special strategic relationship between the U.S. and Africa. So 70% of our financing of most of our solar fields will come from the U.S. government to guarantee use. Um, for our investors as well can come from the World Bank or the U.S. government and technical and other support to protect us from corruption or uh, uh, lack of knowledge at a country level uh, among the government will also help us scale. But this, this really is uh, hope for Africa, and we're, we're proud to raise uh, the uh, Israeli and uh, American flags together uh, in this endeavor. We are uh, expecting soon 
be able to announce a deal to power 15% of another uh, East African country and 25% of a certain West African country and more um, under this program. So stay tuned. Yeah, absolutely uh, fascinating and quite exciting uh, stuff. When you started in, in Israel, a lot of it was based in things like Kibbutz Kutura. Uh, there was work with some of the Bedouin communities getting involved uh, you know, to, to, mm-hmm. to create the power stations in Israel. Do you use a similar model in Africa or do you kind of work directly with the government? What's the best way of, of getting the ownership and distribution going in, in those sorts of places? Good question. You have to do both. And I, I actually credit our work with the Bedouin tribes of Israel, where I felt as a matter of social justice, going back to activist roots, that if the citizens of Israel in the south were going to benefit from solar power uh, and the economics around it, that those benefits should go to all the citizens of the south, which also means the, uh, the poorest members of Israeli society, uh, the Bedouin. And it's, uh, it is very tribal, it is um, very different, and it, it is our Africa. And so I successfully signed five tribes. We have yet to still get built the first Bedouin solar field, and do believe in 2018 uh, the first one will be built um, against all odds. But having both uh, practice beating up government in Israel um, to get all the regulations in place and having worked with the communities like the Bedouin, uh, like tribes, we, we took those core competencies and applied them to Africa. So Israel was really a good training ground because it was really difficult. Um, but then we, we developed the skill set to essentially overcome any hurdle that any African government wanted to throw at us. Uh, and then coming from the ground up, um, with the Bedouin, we do the same thing. We always look for local partners preferably NGOs or churches um, um, uh, in African countries that we can partner with on land and then to work together to get all the necessary permissions. We bring 100% financing. Um, and again, we're fortunate to attract a community uh, of mostly Jewish investors, but let's call it impact investors who want to, to do good and do well, particularly in Israel's name, particularly in Africa. So when you are gallivanting around the continent, obviously here in South Africa, something that we're uh, uh, continuously facing is a very, let's call it aggressive political environment when it comes to Israeli investments and engagement with uh, technology. Is that something that you found in Africa or, or has the reception been warmer than down here? Um, I would say South Africa is really an exception. Um, uh, that you know those those African states that um, you know may actually worry about public opinion and may really take the prospect of losing an election seriously, um, or who really care about the development of their people or the legacy of their leaders, um, they they know that if they want to get something done, they should turn they should turn to Israel, um, and Israel on the continent really can be a superpower of goodness. We're on the verge of that. Because what do most people in Africa need? Water, food, and energy. These are the best water technologies. We can grow basically anything anywhere. And we're, 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 we're the ones who did the breakthrough on commercial-scale solar on the continent. And so most African countries are embracing us, um, chasing after us. We have more deal flow than I have staff to deal with it today. 
and certainly the the goodwill of the Israeli government that they're they're trying to to spread um, uh, impact throughout the continent. They've understood that also the private sector can actually play the real role here for the long term because diplomatic relations come and go, um, and yet. Uh, a 25-year deal where an Israeli company is supplying, you know, a significant portion of a country's electricity, green and cheaper, and doing social programs around it. Uh, that that's a long-term that's a long-term benefit. So we are definitely completely overwhelmed with deal flow today because of Israel's rising star in Africa. And and certainly sometimes these sorts of projects have been the catalyst for much greater relations. I mean, Israel and Rwanda are now considered to be very good friends on the continent. Uh, but my understanding is that some of your work and the work of uh, the village in which the solar power was operating was key to actually uh, helping to engage the Rwandans around the idea of a better relationship with Israel uh, in, 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 in the first place. So it actually does open doors that can then lead to better state relations. We, we are saying we are saying that there is um, uh, a very nice symmetry between our investment program uh, and the uh, support of the United Nations and in other forums, um, and uh, you know we're we're deploying in a way that again makes money for our investors, but also has the most impact uh, environmentally, um, humanitarian wise, as well as diplomatically. Um, and uh, we're, we're, we're proud to raise the flag in those countries in which we, we can. Um, absolutely. Now, if I was a kid 20 years ago or something like that, I guess being a solar engineer probably wasn't uh, necessarily on, on, on my agenda. Uh, but now, if you're a young person and you're uh, thinking about these sorts of things, this is a very real career uh, and something that you can get involved with. Uh, if you are a young person or maybe you're even an investor, what, what would be your suggestion to people who want to get involved with not just the industry of solar power, but as you say, this, this whole movement of uh, the ability to really affect and change Africa and other t- parts of the third world? It's um, a great question. First of all, absolutely, engineers. Um, but I would say um, also the business skills, uh, business development and finance, these are critical for um, this kind of business to do it already through through the lens of, you know, if you want to change the world, start a business or join a business that is doing good on the ground. Um, for much of Africa, it's going to be off-grid, distributed solar. I think uh, having... Uh, um, you know, young people today, uh, Jewish and non-Jewish, and South Africa in particular, joining forces to do distributed solar all throughout the townships uh, uh, would would be an excellent business and would also do a lot of good. And hands-on experience that can happen today. I'm sure there are many opportunities, or you can create those opportunities either on a for-profit or non-profit basis. Certainly, if you're an investor, I'm uh, happy to talk to you either for ourselves or in general, what to look for. Um, but usually you want to invest uh, in teams. You want to invest in groups that have a pipeline. Um, many of our people who work with us are also investors, which is a, a great thing. Um, so that, that shows that they have skin in the game. Um, and But, but the, the green technologies and the development technologies are technologies of the future. So why not get the rights to bring some of the Israeli know-how to South Africa so that South Africa, like for Power Africa, can be a hub 
for the rest of Africa. But, but I'm telling you, even though the ANC is saying what it says about Israel today, if you can turn on the lights and have clean water uh, and, uh, you know, and dependable food, um, that will win hearts and minds over more than, you know, hateful propaganda. Oh, absolutely. And if people want to find out more about your work and, and the company, where can they go? So, uh, energiaglobal.com. Energia is uh, the energy of God, right? Which is, you know, appreciating where the sun comes from. E-N-E-R-G-I-Y-A, global.com. And you can email me at yosef, Y-O-S-E-F, at energiaglobal.com. And I'm also, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Captain Sunshine with a K. Captain Sunshine, uh, indeed. And, uh, yeah, Yosef, thank you so much for uh, being with us on the new Blue Review. Absolutely fascinating discussion. And uh, keep keep up the good work and all of the lights burning throughout the whole eight days of Hanukkah and beyond. Shine on South Africa. Thank you very much. That's Yosef Abramovitz. Uh, he is from uh, he is from Energia Global, and uh, he is joining us uh, today on the new Blue Review.